0: Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit okcfirst.com. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of
1: John, chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, everyone. As we jump right in today, Let me tell you that there are some difficult and disturbing verses of Scripture that we will explore today, not the least of which is John 3.16. We have some work to do to make sure that we are understanding John 3.16 in its context that we, thank you, sir, that we aren't telling the Bible what to say to us, but rather are the kinds of people who allow the Bible to tell us what God wants us to hear. We are in the season of Lent. And we are in a sermon series entitled, Can You Hear Me Now? Which uh, I think has been helpful for us because obviously this is in the voice of God. We put this in the mouth of God. And God is saying to us today, can you hear me now? Do you know what it is that I am after? Do you know what it is that I want from you, in you? Do you know what it is that I want as I come to you and make my home with you? Do you know what it is? Do we know what it is? I think God has been fairly clear about it. But do we listen? Can we hear? Do we know what it is that God wants from us? And you have heard me say what God wants from us, and we've made it a a point of special emphasis this Lenten season. God wants for us to be honest. God wants for us to be vulnerable and transparent and available. God wants for us to be honest about all that we are not. And so we begin on Ash Wednesday. We begin with a ceremony, with a liturgy that acknowledges our sinfulness and our failure. In fact, I said this to you that night. I want you to leave not only with the ash on your forehead, but with a line that you're ready to deliver. And that line would go something like this. I wear the ash to confess my failure to be Christ. And all of us, all of us could have been thoroughly and completely honest that night as we left because all of us failed to be Jesus. Can I get an amen there? And so we left acknowledging that gap between ourselves and the person of Christ. Hear this: I'm going to keep talking about honesty, complete integrity, my desire to have us to acknowledge to God and to one another where it is and how it is that we fall short. I want us to be an honest people as we go about our lives of faith, but God desires something beyond our honesty. Mark and I have had this discussion several times. It is a great thing. It is a great thing that people gather here on Saturday night and they talk about and are honest about their failures. In fact, it's a helpful part of the process, but we aren't celebrating brokenness on Saturday nights. We're celebrating recovery on Saturday night. Hey, Christian, listen to this. God does desperately want you to be honest, yes, with God and with one another, but God is going to do something with that honesty. God wants something more than honesty. Once you get to thorough honesty and integrity and vulnerability, God wants more. God can do something with that honesty and integrity. It's not enough. Hear this. It's not enough just to acknowledge that you're sinful. We get that. God gets that. What comes after that? What comes after that? What does God do with that sense of integrity? Now, it's super important. In fact, I I wonder at times if we shouldn't have this ash ceremony more often, like maybe throughout Lent. Maybe, maybe we would start to get the point if we were to wear the ashes throughout Lent. I'm struggling. I'm struggling to live up to and into this Christ-formed life. I struggle and I fail and I acknowledge it. And we can get really good at that and it would only help us to get really good at acknowledging our failure so long as we understand that there is a comma after acknowledging our honesty and not a period. Something happens after that. Something happens beyond that. And that's why we do these other things. We're moving toward baptism or the reaffirmation of your baptism. And we pray. And we read scripture because we want something more than just honesty. Well, I guess that kind of depends, doesn't it? Because we sometimes are working against um, this vat of common sense, this wisdom out there that says something like this. People don't change. Or, or, Or here's another one. Well, nobody's perfect. Ever heard that one? Or even within our own tradition, as we use very important words like sanctification, and even as we have, we have rightly, I think, attached this word process to the word sanctification. In other words, the process whereby you are less like you and more like Jesus. Like that? But even within that category, within that conversation, we'll have the tendency to say this, well, you'll know I'll never get all the way there. Why? Because I'm just chronically human chronically human. And so when I give myself to that line of thinking, I am, hear this, hear this, this is rough stuff today. When I get myself to that place, when I am participating in that line of thinking, I am excusing myself from the process whereby I can in fact stop being the person that God does not want me to be. And become the person that God wants me to be. But sometimes what we've done and what we've done to the cross, well, this is tough and I'm gonna hurt somebody's feelings and I apologize ahead of time. It's mostly Dr. Tashton's fault, I will tell you that. <laughs> but sometimes what we've done with the cross is this, ready? Because people like me can't change, God has to. You with me? Because people like me can't change, I'm going to be this loser human being always given to sinfulness and self-orientation. Because I can't change, God had to do something to see me differently. So God had to do something because I can't change. That is someone else's message and not ours. In fact, I would say it exactly opposite of that. There is something about God that does not change. (laughs) There is something and something really big and really good about this God that does not, will not change. And it's this, it's this. So is it, John, God's righteous and holy anger at our sinfulness? No, I'd say it's something better and bigger and stronger and more important than that. God's passion for you. God's passion for me, for us. God's passion for God's dream, for all of creation. God's love on full display does not change no matter what we do to it. No matter what we do to love, love loves. Now watch this. And because love won't change, we can. I probably should stop right there, but I'm not smart enough to do that. Because love won't change, we can. There are some who would say, we can't change, so God had to. We're not those people. We're the people who say, because love so stubborn, God is so stubborn. But because love won't change, we can. We can stop taking ourselves off the hook. We can stop saying, well, I'm only human. You can only expect so much from a human being like me, because sometimes I I, I sometimes I, I get hangry. <laughs> now in great compassion, I in great compassion, I, I want you to right now, if you can, to uh, unapologetically point at someone who gets hangry. Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Well, that happened a lot right there. Yep, high-fiving even. That's good. Have you heard of this term, uh, hangry? It's fascinating. Um, It has to do with uh, doing... (laughs) It has to do with certain things that I might say or do or think because I'm just me, and when I get hungry, I just do these dumb things, right? Or I just do these things because I am this person, right?
0: Welcome. This video is designed to help you treat the condition known as hangry. Hangry occurs when you are feeling both hungry and angry. It starts with an empty stomach and signals the brain causing irritability and tears. The best way to treat hangry is with the attitude adjuster taco from Chipotle. It consists of naturally raised carnitas, fresh tomato salsa, lettuce, and cheese. And is proven to cure hangry, leaving you feeling refreshed and ready to enjoy life. Gracias.
2: Amen. Now, I think this is a thing. I think hangry is, is actually a thing. I think I have seen this, right? But you, I hopefully, hopefully you understand I'm using this to, to make a little larger point. I think we have this awful tendency to say that's just who people are or that's just who I am or that's just who she is. That's who he is. And we relieve ourselves of the obligation and the responsibility to respond to grace with effort toward change. We relieve ourselves of the responsibility, the responsibility to make the effort toward change. We respond to grace not by saying, whew, now God won't kill me eternally. We respond to grace by saying, God, what do you want from me? Okay? Okay? Very strange verse that we heard read today. Brandon read it. It's, it's John 3:14. We're pretty familiar with 3:16. Lots of folks familiar with 3:17. 3, 3:14 3, is weird. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the what is Moses doing with the snake? And why would you lift it up? And what does the cross have to do with the snoke, with a snake, with a snake lifted up in the desert? Well, let's go back. OK. Before we get into numbers 21, which is another passage of scripture I could have preached from today, hear this: In the first three verses, the people of God are actually they're out from underneath Pharaoh's thumb. They're out in the wilderness, they're wandering around, they're trying to be the people of God, and yet they are complaining at every turn. <laughs> there are five or six, depending on who you read, five or six stories of murmuring, murmuring stories, where the people get upset with God, God. I know, yeah, I know. You got us out from Egypt, and that was great and all, but we are hungry. We need some stuff here. We need water. We need food. And so God responds. God sweetens water at some point. God provides manna at another point. God provides water from a rock at another point. God provides quail when the people complained about having meat or not having meat. God provides quail. The people are always complaining, God is always responding, but you gotta have to at some point just say, well, these people are just normal, right? They're, they're just people. In the first three verses of this particular chapter, the people are still wandering around, but there's this group of people that they're going to have real trouble with, and they say, God, please, please, please deliver this enemy army into our hands. If you could just deliver this enemy army into our hands, I'll go to Africa and be a missionary or something like that, right? God, if you'll just do this for me. If you'll just do this for us, we will be your people. And so God, and you can see it in the first three verses of of Numbers 21, God responds and delivers that other army and that territory directly into their hands. The people of God, the Israelites, win. And then there's verse 4. Immediately after the victory of verse 3, you get verse 4. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, but the people became impatient on the way. As people tend to do. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Okay. I'm going to read this part and then the next couple of slides. God does some unspeakable sorts of things. You need to know this before we get into that. I am not going to defend God. I'm not going to try to explain God. I'm going to report God. Right? Right? So the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. There was. And you can tell it because the next line is, there's no food and there's no water, and we hate this food. <laughs> you know what food they hated? Manna. Quail. They wanted to go back. They want to go back to Egypt. I read this a couple of times this week. Every church has a committee that should be entitled, Let's Go Back to Egypt Committee. (laughs) I don't know if we have that or not. Although, although, I think the larger issue is this. I do think we all have the tendency... To view ourselves as chronically normal, chronically human, and there are many times when I say that to you, I want you to know that. I want you to know that God accepts you there, but God does not want you to stay there. These people had been given gift after gift after gift. These people had experienced the covenantal nature of God and the commitment of God in the form of manna, in the form of water, in the form of sweeter water, in the form of quail, in the form of victory. They had experienced the covenantal commitment of God. And now around this corner, they're really angry and they're saying to Moses and they're saying to God, we don't like you, we don't like your God, and we don't like this food that we don't have. What? We don't like this food. God responds, as you would imagine. So the Lord sent poisonous serpents (laughs) among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. Remember what I said about not explaining or defending God. This is the report of Scripture, that the people of God mocked the provision of God. And this was the response. Now, strangely, there was a dramatic change of heart. Once bitten by a poisonous snake, you perhaps will have a change of heart. And so the people came to Moses and said, okay, we've sinned. We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray, Moses, pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us because that's what we do as believers. We ask to be relieved of the consequences of our lives, our decisions and our actions, we ask to be relieved of the consequences, the ramifications. In fact, in fact, sometimes, that is the sum total, or perhaps the prayer that gets the most energy. God relieve from me the consequences of my actions, because I'm just human. And there is a sense in which I'm always going to be that guy. So God, at least take care of the consequences of my actions. God, no more snakes if you don't mind. Yes, we've been those people, but if you could do away with the snakes, we would be super happy and we'll, we'll say you're our God again. If you'll just do away with the ramifications, the consequences of our actions and our decisions. And the Lord said to Moses, okay, let's make a poisonous serpent, let's set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. Now, watch this. God does not take away the snakes, nor does he take away the snake bites. They still suffer the consequences of their rebellion. They still suffer the consequences of the choices that they are making. But God does provide a means of... Rescue. You don't have to die, but there are still consequences to your actions. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it up on a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, so they're still biting, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. But that serpent of bronze shiny as it was, you can see this, right, became a mirror that reflected what was most ugly about the Israelites. You with me? What happened when they looked at that mirror? What were they aware of? They were aware of their own broken nature. They were aware of their own consumeristic mentality. They were aware that they had this awful tendency to forget what God had just done and to start complaining because I want something now, God. I want it right now. God, be microwavable for me now. Not only, not only in your provision, but also in relief. I know I got myself into the situation, God, but I want you to fix it now, please. But the solution that God offered takes a much longer view A much longer, larger, broader view of the relationship between God and you, God and me, God and people, and the circumstances of human brokenness and rebellion. Sometimes, because we don't believe that people can change, our prayers are aimed at relief. God, just don't punish me, just understand me. Relieve me of this penalty, God. You know me. You know I can't do much more than what I'm doing. You know people like me. You know people. Just relieve me of the penalty. And God says, hear this. And God says, no, I want to change you. And so I'm going to reflect back to you That which you have brought on yourself, I'm going to reflect back to you the damage that's done. When you decide, as you decide, I'm going to reflect back to you the consequences, the ramifications. I'm going to reflect back to you with this bronze serpent what you have done. But at the same time, God says, I'm sticking with you because I think there will be better days for you if you will just listen to me. You get it? So the serpent, the serpent is a reminder, is a reminder of bad decisions and the consequences of bad decisions and the damage that we do when we choose a God other than God. And typically, the God that we choose other than God looks like you and me. Now we can go to 314. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may also be rescued from death and deathliness. All right. In order to hear these verses as they are meant to be heard, you're going to have to relieve yourself. You're going to have to relinquish your sense of heaven and hell and eternal life right here. I still believe in heaven and hell and eternal life. That's just not what we're talking about here when we use the terminology of eternal life. We're not talking about innumerable days after you die. We're talking about a boundlessness, an endlessness, a different way of life that opens up to you once you acknowledge and understand that God wants from you more than just your honesty. God wants the kind of change in you and from you and in your life that will allow you to be a better covenant partner with God because life in covenant partnership with God is, in fact, bigger than the life that you live prior to that. Amen. So there is this sense in which our Savior lifted up on this cross. While I'll never stop saying this, it is, in fact, an expression of who God is and how God loves At the same time, it is an expression that communicates to us what we do. Jesus came offering a different way of doing life. A different way of doing life that challenged and continues to challenge all of the rest of the world's definitions as as to what makes for a good life. A successful life. Jesus came challenging all of that. Jesus, in some sense, really did come and shake his fist at the heads of other kingdoms. He came and he shook his fist, saying, power is not the end of the story. Wealth is not the end of the story. There is something better. And so power and wealth conspire to kill him with power and wealth. It's why it's important every once in a while that when we hand you the elements, it's important that we say this to you. Because we're a little bit like those people who put Jesus on the cross, because we are, in fact, human. (laughs) Because we are a little bit like those people, it's important when we hand you the elements, sometimes it's important that we say this to you. Not just the body of Christ broken for you, but maybe even the body of Christ broken by you. The blood of Christ shed by you, Because this reflects back to us the ugliness of human nature. This is what we do to protect our interests. This is what Rome did to protect its interests. And this is what we do to protect our interests. And our definitions of words like success and even power. This is what we do. And when we have the courage to look at it, there's a reason that's the shape of the cross that's put on your forehead on Ash Wednesday. It's to remind us that it's not just broken for us and shed for us, but it's broken by us and shed by us. When we look at the cross and we see our human ugliness reflected back to us, that's the point at which we can (laughs) hear this, please. When we finally see our human ugliness reflected back to us, perhaps that's the point at which we can most appreciate grace and forgiveness. And the God who, knowing all that God knows about us, insists on choosing us. And yes, forgiving us, but also insists that you get better. That I get better. Because God on the cross is not just providing for our eternity. He's providing. God on the cross is not just providing for your eternity. God on the cross is providing for your Monday. And God hopes that there is an eternal aspect of your Monday Because you recognize and see that on the cross, and as this Jesus is lifted up, and not just lifted up on this cross, but lifted up, raised up, glorified, magnified, you know this, right? God wins. And since God wins, you can, in fact, choose to follow this Jesus. There might be some bad days, but you would be on the winning side. And not just after you die, but there can be an eternal nature, a boundless, endless nature to life right now for folks who would follow in those footsteps. So there is a presentness to John 3.16 that we don't always acknowledge because we're so quick to seek God to change our eternal, our after we die fortunes. But listen to this if you insist that it be about today and tomorrow. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have this eternal life. That is not a future tense verb. This verse says you can have this endlessness now if you will acknowledge how it is that you are and then receive, receive, the God who wants to move you from where you are. By the way, there's an interesting thing going on here in the original language. It says here, so that everyone who believes in him, but it perhaps should say, so that everyone who believes into him. It's not just about mental assent. It's about alignment. What does it mean to believe in this God? Is it to believe just that God exists or just that God has forgiven? That's all great as long as you understand that there's so much more to the story that if you fixate right there, you might end up being wrong. No. To believe into this Jesus is to recognize the need that I have to be aligned with this Jesus and moved into rhythmic steps of this Jesus. It is to close the distance between my life and Christ's life. And so we believe that you can, in fact, close the distance between your life and Christ's life. It is not okay for you to say, well, I'm just human. God's going to have to put up with my being hangry. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved, salvaged, rescued through him like Monday. Now, here's where we bring the honesty back, okay? I am talking to people who may be people. Who maybe on a magical Thursday night at camp. Prayed through. And what they mean by that is, I secured my hereafter because of the decision that I made at camp and what God did for me. And that's great. It's just not all there is. In fact, what God wants you to do is God wants you to bring more and more of your darkness into God's light because God believes that God can do more and more with your darkness as you are willing to let God do something with it via light. All who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. In other words, we aren't just a we have done a really good thing if we can convince you to unearth all of your secrets. We've done a really good thing if we can convince you to have no secrets with others around you we've done a really good thing if we can get you to acknowledge all the different ways that you fall short of christ's likeness but we have not finished with you just because we have finally earned complete transparency it's not done yet until you look like jesus that's the point right it's not just your being honest it's your looking like and it's my looking like jesus so, if you have said, I am not Jesus, well, great, God bless you, you have taken an important step, but still the dream remains that you would be like Jesus. It's been a rough week for these people. Now, I don't pretend to know all that happened in Norman. Norman. I don't pretend to know all that happened with the SAEs. I don't pretend to know. In fact, it seems like we're going to have more and more come out about it. Here's what I would say I would say that racism is a sin deeply ingrained, deeply ingrained in a culture, deeply ingrained in a person. Perhaps so deeply ingrained that it's passed on generation to generation. Anybody else think that? But that can change. Greed. Greed is deep. (laughs) Some people have called it something more honorable, ambition. But greed is deep. The lust for power, the lust for money, it's it is deep. And perhaps not only is it passed on from generation to generation, but maybe it's even encouraged in some hallways. So that it's even pressed deeper and deeper and deeper. Now we can do one of two things at this point. We can say, well, that's just wait, that's kind of the way things are. Are you watching the news? That's it, kids will be kids. Well, people are what they're going to be, and it's just really hard. I mean, I know a lot. Listen, I promise you, I know some people in my life that make me wonder whether or not people can change. But God. The only person that can't change is the one who won't change. but God. And yes, it starts here. And it's an essential step. It's absolutely an essential step. You must acknowledge that you are like those who (laughs) drove the nails. You are like those who saw fit to crucify our Lord because you perhaps are like those people who had to protect their interests. It starts with ashes in the sign of the cross. It starts with a call for vulnerability and honesty. But you're not done just because you're honest. Turns out, that broken body and shed blood that I broke and that I shed Turns out that broken body and shed blood are also the means of my recovery. Turns out that this God is just as committed to me, just as covenantally committed to me, no matter what. Now that doesn't change everything. That doesn't finish the sentence either, though. We believe in a responsible grace around here. We want you to come and take the bread and the cup. We want you to take it into your body. It becomes a part of your body. And we hope that you are then strengthened by the bread and the cup to be more like Jesus now. Let's not be the church ever who says, ah, it's just the way people are. Let's not be the church who says, ever, ah, people don't change. Let's be the church that believes that God can do all things, even change me, (laughs) even change you, even change us, even change it all. Fueled and resourced as we will be by the body and the blood of the God who is so stubborn that we can change. If you're helping us, if you'll come and help us to distribute the elements. If you are visiting today, welcome. Glad you're here. We're about to take communion, the Lord's Supper, meet at the Lord's Table, the Eucharist. Lots of different ways we can describe what's going to happen here. But if you're visiting today, you need to know these two things. Number one, you do not have to participate. Number two, you are perfectly welcome to participate. We celebrate an open table here, which means that all who recognize their need for this grace are absolutely welcome. And we believe that by participating, you can be moved and resourced toward likeness. Heavenly Father, bless these elements now. And God, do use these elements to move us and shape us and help us. God, give us a dose of your stubbornness, would you? A dose of your stubbornness about us. What is it that you see in us that you have given yourself so deeply to? God, help us to know that there is something about you that does not change at the very same time help us to know that because you don't change we can in a moment I'm going to ask you all to stand we take the Lord's Supper we observe this ritual uh, intinction style which means that you get up and you walk all the way to one of these people holding a plate of bread When you do, please come with your hands cupped. And what will happen is, as you walk up to that person who is holding that plate of bread, that person will break off a piece of bread and press it into your hands and say, the body of Christ broken for you. But don't eat it right then and there. In fact, take it and dip it into the cup held by the person standing right there. When you dip it into the cup held by that person... He or she will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. Then take and eat. Now after that, you can do one of a couple of things. You can circle right back around and go back to your pew and have a seat. You're welcome to do so. But I hope that you will pray. And You can pray there at your pew or you can find a place to pray here. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you're coming for a prayer for healing, physical, emotional, mental relational and someone will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing or you can pray at any one of these wooden altars and someone will come and pray with you we believe in the tangibility of the presence of God it was on the night that our Savior was betrayed that he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it gave it to his disciples saying this is my body broken for you in some sense, also broken by you. Every time you eat this bread, remember me. Remember that it communicates a stubborn love that will not waver so that you can be different. The same way, later he took the cup he held it up before them and he said and this is my blood the blood of the new covenant shed for you and in some sense shed by you every time you take a sip from this cup remember remember me and remember that i am moving you somewhere if you'll let me all across the sanctuary now i want to invite you to stand move out of your pew to the left Come forward and receive the bread and the cup. If you can't come to Jason, Jason will come to you. Receive this grace, this transformational grace.
1: me, your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me, your love. And on and on and on and on it goes, for it overwhelms and satisfies my soul. I'll never ever have to be afraid this one thing remains this one thing remains your love never fails it never gives up it never runs out on me your love It never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. Your love. In death, in life, I'm confident and covered by the power of your God. My debt is pain there's nothing that can separate my heart from your great love my debt is pain there's nothing that can separate my heart from your great
2: and then we will close with prayers of petition and the lord's prayer. I want to invite you right now to do that first step sort of prayer. We probably don't take enough time to do this, but it's it's a good thing to pray, God, I have failed. I probably still need to have the ashes on my forehead. Challenge you to pray that prayer now. Please don't think it's simplistic to pray this next prayer. Father, having heard my confession, forgive me. I have, in so many ways and so many senses, I have apologized. Receive me, forgive me. good (laughs) you know all your excuses so knowing all that you know about you I dare you to pray this one okay God having heard me and now having forgiven me change me Father, at this point, we tap into your deep-seated belief in us. We sing of your love for us. Right now, we celebrate your belief in us. That you can give an opportunity, move us to a better place, change us, grow us. God, don't let us be subject to ugly and defeated common sense that simply rests, maybe even revels in the fact that we're just broken. Can't be better, can't get better. Instead, God, remind us that there is something in the cross that gives us hope beyond hope, that there is something in the cross and in the resurrection, even in the ascension, that tells us about the victory of God that can be ours. If we give ourselves to you, if we give everything that we have to give, Having heard our confessions, now hear us, God, as we pray prayers of petition.
0: Lives of our members at OKC First, we want to take some time to pray for some folks who need specific healing touches from you. We want to begin by praying for June Adams, who's not here with us this morning, at home, recovering from some chemo, and an ER stay later this week and Thursday and Friday. Just ask God you would surround June with your healing, your love, and your presence with Angela and R.K. as they love and surround her. Would we ask you to be with Bob Dargan as he continues to recover from surgery to remove cancer? Just ask God that you would be with him, heal him as he moves forward in the days and weeks to come. Would we ask you to be with Debbie McKenzie and her family? She had surgery this week to determine kind of cancer she may have in her body and just ask that you'd be with Bobby and Josh and Sam surround them and some of us to surround that family as well Lord we love the Capreros, Lynn and Trudy and ask God that you would surround them, surround Lynn bring healing hope, restoration and Lynn's life and health as he faces some news that's been difficult in the last few weeks. Lord, we ask you would be with Helen Jameson as she rests at home in hospice care, asking God that you would bring her peace, and comfort, and strength, and hope. And someday, Lord, you'd bring her into your presence. we ask you to also be with Iris Glisten as she rests in hospice cares. Linda Crow's mother and just ask God that you would be with her and that your presence may abide in her life and that God you would be with her family that surrounds and loves and you would surround Linda with the words and the care that you would have for Iris today and in the weeks and days to come there's more I'm sure every person who walked in here had Someone in their life who just needed a specific healing touch. It's so good to see Brian sitting up today in that chair out of his wheelchair. You know someone, you've come into this place knowing someone needed a healing touch. And so as God brings that person to your mind, would you pray for them for healing and restoration and strength and the presence of God to surround them at this time? Walker, Megan Hodge, Lord, we ask that you would restore and bring hope and healing and health. Lord, each week you've allowed us to have a significant impact and presence on our neighborhood. Lord, we ask that you would bring restoration, healing, and hope to the homes, to the apartment complexes, to the relationships, to the stores within the walkable neighborhood here you would allow us to be part of that restoration project lord we ask that you would do that in our city in our state around this nation and world and that god you would use us in the process lord would you make us into people week in week out that are forming ourselves into a people who not just say this prayer but live into and believe this prayer and we'll pray this morning using debts and debtors let's pray our Father.